Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Complete Sinner's Guide. My name is Tyler Fowler. I am your host, and today we have a very special guest lined up for you, J.D. Martin, and we are going to be talking about perseverance of the saints, one of my favorite topics. But first, you can find us over at www.completecenters.com. If you want to be a guest on the show, or if you want to hear a topic specifically on the show, email me at w or email me at completecenter at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, and you can also find us on Patreon. www.patreon.com forward slash completecenter. And hit us up, man. Let us know what's going on. With me, I have J.D. Martin, my good buddy from last week on the show. If you guys didn't catch that, we were um, talking about uh, total depravity and limited or definite atonement, as I like to uh, say it. Um, so if you guys haven't checked out, check that out. We're going to be talking about something that ties directly into that, I believe, um, that being perseverance of the saints but first of all jd man what is going on how you been brother i've been doing great thanks again for uh inviting me on the show i had a really good time last time uh, i really like this show and so i'm just glad to to be here again um and thinking about the the doctrines of grace and thinking about uh perseverance of the saints this one last time we were talking about a very controversial one definite home and i would say that's probably the black sheep of reformed theology for many uh, non-reformed. This is the you know terrible doctrine, or at least one of the worst things they would say about reformed theology. And today, about perseverance of the saints, this is, uh, in my mind, a, a beautiful doctrine, and I feel like most people would accept it. And and if any point of the non-Calvinist holds to, it's usually perseverance of the saints. They actually would hold to one saved, always saved a lot of them, but still they've held on to this idea that once you are truly saved, um, that you will that you will be finally saved in the end. Right. Now, let me ask you a personal question. Do you make a difference? Like, do you make a distinction between classic perseverance of the saints, as in, you know, those whom God has chosen that he will grant perseverance to, um, you know, go go throughout their trials um, and not lose faith in Christ and ultimately receive the reward? And Do you make a distinction between that and the classic, quote-unquote, once saved, always saved? Yeah, I do. I mean, I absolutely do. Now, just the terminology itself, once saved, always saved, is is itself fine, is itself true and descriptive of perseverance of the saints. Namely, if you are truly regenerate, right, if you are someone who the Holy Spirit truly resides in in a salvific way, then you... Once you're saved, you will always be saved. So, so that is itself true. But oftentimes, when we talk about one saved, always saved, we're talking about the the non-Calvinist, usually in uh, fundamentalist churches, for example, a view, which is that once you make a decision for Christ, which is just raising your hand, saying yes, making a profession of faith, right? Once you do that, then no matter what you do, even if you apostatize, even if you become an atheist, it does not matter, and you die in that condition— then once you were saved, made a confession, then you were always saved. That is completely not the case with perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints says that once someone has been truly regenerate, God will not allow this person to finally and completely apostatize. So the difference is, what happens to the apostate? Perseverance of the saints says that the apostate was never saved, and that person is going to hell. Once saved, always says says that, hey, who cares? They're, they, they're apostate. This person will be saved in the end. So that's the major distinction between the two. Right, and 
I think you have to make that distinction because in modern American Christianity, uh, the, the Christianity here in the West in the United States, there is a lot of if you come down to the altar and you pray the sinner's prayer or you pray this or you say that and you fill out this card or fill out that and stick it in this envelope, hand it back to the preacher, I grew up with that, right? Mm-hmm. I grew up with it, and I can't tell you how many times that I prayed the sinner's prayer and nothing happened, right? So I was, you know, so this is actually a very, very... Um, close and a very you know dear subject to my heart, um, perseverance of the saints. Because th- this would be, I-, I agree with you, JD. Um, I think we have to make a distinction between uh, perseverance of the saints and quote unquote once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. As you said, w- would say that you you basically you get your ticket punched to heaven. Um, Doctor James White quote. We talk about him a lot. He's going. He needs to be a guest on this show. I do believe. Dr. James White, this is a shout-out to you. I'm not challenging you to a debate, but I would love to have you on my show. And Jeff Durbin. That'd be great. Anyway, so to get that out of the way, I was actually listening to a um, Can a Christian Lose Their Salvation uh, debate between him and Trent Horn. And and Dr. White does make the distinction between, you know, perseverance, once saved, always saved. And, you know, like I said, that being, you know, one getting their quote-unquote ticket punched to heaven versus someone who is truly trusting in Christ and truly believing. Now, this is where we get into justification and the sanctification part, and this is why I've been so adamant on distinguishing between the two over the past couple of days. Um, If you guys are just tuning in, I have J.D. Martin with me, and we're talking about perseverance of the saints today. I almost said definite atonement, but but, uh, perseverance of the saints. I got him back with me, and this very, very awesome stuff. But uh, like I was saying, the difference between the two is, you know, one is in a continuous state of repentance, a continuous hatred for sin. Um, It's really interesting, John 3.16, what we talked about a couple days ago, uh, or or a few few shows ago. Uh, It seems like, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and everyone believing in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That believing, right, there's a, 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 a taste of continuation in that continuation. And it's not just because the, the what I've seen, honestly, J.D., and comment on this if you would, but it seems like the classic Arminian, and what I mean by that is someone, you know, that does not hold to the point, five points of Calvinism, um, detest it, hate it, whatever, um, or, or not. You know, they just don't agree with it. I don't think Noah would hate it, but I think... Um, he would not agree with a lot of it um, and therefore be of the Arminian uh, thought. But anyway, the point that I'm making is that it, it would seem that if someone, you know, is trusting, like they, like for example, the Arminian would say, well, I believe that, you know, back December whatever, 19 whatever, um, that's the day that I crushed it in Christ. It would seem like they are their hope is in that decision that they made or that that prayer that they prayed. JD, have you ever seen anybody or, or, or spoken with anybody like that? Um, that, yeah. that it seems like they are just focusing on that date and and what they did there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I I think that um, 
again, everyone has a different kind of tradition, and, and a lot of these decision uh, traditions all about making a decision for Christ. It's supposed to be a tangible moment. I actually remember uh, the date, the hour, the moment when I was saved, um, and so um, that does give me uh, much, much, much comfort. But the thing is, is that I my assurance of salvation, there is a sense that I look back and say, yes, I was authentic, I was sincere, I really put my trust in Christ. Okay, but, and this is what that one saved, always saved, I'm 100% convinced that I was completely authentic, completely sincere when I put my trust in Christ. However, I also uh, know that I need to persevere, that I must continue to believe. So I don't just look back at that moment and say, well, I know I was saved back then, so it doesn't matter what I do now. No, I continue to look to Christ now as my Savior. Today I repent. Today I believe I continue to press forward, forgetting what was past and pressing forward to the, the goal of an upward call with Christ Jesus. So I, I think that um, just healthy Christianity, that's what Paul said, healthy Christianity is not looking back at your past success, right? There's this wonderful uh, YouTube video out there where there's all of these athletes that they're celebrating. They're like, they're, they're in the lead, they're winning, and they're celebrating how wonderful I am, and then someone comes up behind them who's like pressing with all their might and beats them. It's a wonderful uh, YouTube video that I that I saw, and, and that's that's what Paul was saying, that that's not his attitude. He forgets what was past, but presses on to the, to, to the upward call. And so, um, I exactly. think that we, we really need to cling to Christ, look to Christ, trust in Christ. How do I know I'm saved? I know I'm saved because right now, this very moment, I'm looking and loving Christ. If I fall into sin, I need to get back in right relationship with Christ and not just simply uh, trust in what I did yesterday. Exactly. It's not, because it, it, it would seem, you know, that whenever um, someone that says, you know, well, how do I know that I'm saved is because back, you know, on that, you know, fateful night, um, I, I, I put my trust in Christ at that point. It's, you know, I, I would ask that person, are you still trusting in Christ? Um, is there a sense in which that, yes, we all have that, you know, that day? And I honestly wish I could, you know, like you just said, J.D., that you know you can look back and say and, and see and know that hour. You, I think you said last time uh, the heat that you were on that you were actually setting in really really close to the spot that you were saved, and that's amazing. I don't remember whenever I was saved. I think I do, but I don't know because God could have been God could have saved me months, maybe even years before that. I don't know exactly, but I think I know the uh, the, the day. Um, and, and time that that I really that, that something definitely changed. I'll put it like that. Yeah. Um, for I mean because but but anyway, so to get into perseverance of the saints, we're going to dig into some scripture. But first, I just want to JD, if you want to go ahead and pull up a scripture, um, sure, sure, that, that, that you could explain and expound. Let do that, and let me just explain this real quick. When, whenever we say justification and sanctification. We, we've explained that before on the, show, justif- on the show. Justification happens in a moment in time. Sanctification is a continuous process throughout the, entire, uh, the entirety of the believer's life. Anyway, with that perseverance, the case that we are making, and J.D., you can add to this if you want to, we are saying that God, in his glory and in his wisdom, that, like I said, this ties into definite atonement, that God, before the foundations of the earth, chose a people for himself, a, a specific people, individual people, um, to be in Christ, quote-unquote, in Christ, or justified, declared righteous before God. 
We're saying that those people whom God has chosen before the foundation of the earth and predestined to be saved are saying that there is no way that that person, that individual, not group, but individual, can ever leave the faith and persevere throughout trials, tribulations, and ultimately into glorification, as Romans 8, 29, and 30 say, um, that they would persevere from the moment of faith until death. Um, and they would take their last breath on earth and final, or, or last breath on earth and first breath in heaven. We would say that Christ and God and the and the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, all helps with that perseverance. And that, in layman's terms, a Christian cannot lose their salvation. Um, that that's the case that we're making. Um, JD, if you want to take it from there, add to that. Yeah, absolutely. Like. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, so much. Um, I, I just want to quickly go back to um, yes, yeah. Like I said last time, like I, you were just, I was just thinking about this. I am probably maybe an inch away, <laughs> literally. Like I'm right here where I was saved, um, what thirteen years ago. Um, and so I'm, I am thankful for that. And, and it is, um, you know, um, I, I'm happy that I can see that conversion. My wife, who was saved, you know, she was saved as an adult as well, as well, or you know, not a kid. And so she remembers her salvation, but she can't pinpoint the exact moment. She just knows that she went to Bible study, started hearing the gospel, and around a few days or so, her life completely changed. So she can't pinpoint the exact moment like I can. Um, so, you know, that's everyone has a different testament. Just because I can remember th- that exact moment doesn't mean that you're not saved if you don't remember that exact moment. I just want to point that out there. I also want to say... My great hope for my kids, my oldest is six, and I have my youngest is one, I have four kids, is for them not to have my testimony, okay? I don't want them to remember the day, the moment, the hour. I want them to always know, remember knowing the Lord, loving Him, and trusting Him. Um, and so there's advantages and disadvantages to uh, being able to remember your conversion. The advantage is it's amazing. You can remember going from darkness to light. It's, it's a wonderful experience. The disadvantage is I remember being in darkness a lot longer than uh, maybe if you don't have that testimony. So I just say that all to say that um, you know God has called us all to be in different paths, and and um, there's advantages and disadvantages of every testimony. Now, as far as um, as far as perseverance of the saints, I I just what I always try to tell people in the preliminary is uh, let's what are we saying and what we're not saying. As I said, we're not one saved, always saved. We're not saying if you abandon the faith, you're saved. Absolutely not. That's not the question. Everyone agrees, except one saved, always saved. They're complete outliers. They're the only ones who say, if you apostatize, you'll be saved. And there's so many scriptures that are against them, I don't even think it's a, it's a Christian option. To Just be to honest. interject real quick, J.D., I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe that it, a, a guy who used to be on TBN, TBN Charles Stanley, uh, Dr. Charles Stanley, who's very, very famous um, in, in the um, TBN world and those who watch TBN, I wouldn't personally recommend it, but that's just, you know, teach their own, I guess, on that. Uh, use discernment, I would say. Use discernment if you personally watch uh, shows like TBN and Daystar. But have you ever heard that before? Um, the, uh, I heard this on the debate um, that I listened to between Trent Horn and J.D. Or, the, the, the debate between you and Trent Horn, you know, J.D., that one that you had. <laughs> Dr. White and uh, Trent Horn. And one of them said, I don't remember which one, but uh, I think it was Trent, that Dr. Stanley holds to the if you um, even if you're saved um, or, or if if you're uh, got your ticket punched so to say you can apostatize you can become an atheist like you were saying you can murder you can turn into a child molester um, and continue in that until the day you die 
and uh, you're good. You will receive yeah. your glorification in heaven. Yeah, so, no, I, d- I don't know if Charles Stanley held that view, but I know that is vi- that is a prominent view among uh, at least fundamentalist people coming um, out, um, uh, people who are associated with like uh, the Baptists who are non-reformed, especially people who've been affected by Finianism, decisionalism, and all that kind of stuff. You have altar calls, uh, those kind of churches, um, even KJV, some churches. These, this, that, that whole movement, uh, yes, um, is, is that once saved, always saved is a, a major controversy uh, within within that um, that that circle. And same thing with um, it ties in with easy believism, believism with the MacArthur controversy verse about lordships all that's tied in so no it's not a view that's unheard of it's a view that's out there but what i would say is that it is so profoundly wrong and so profoundly dangerous that i don't consider it a christian option meaning i I just don't think if you're reading the scriptures and not just a slave to tradition you're going to come to that view i'm saying there's i mean just read through hebrews just read through the parable of the sower which i'm going to in in a moment here Um, there's just no way you can make it to the scriptures and believe that if you apostatize that you're going to be saved the the scriptures are 100 percent clear on that if you don't bear fruit you'll be cut off and thrown into the fire Uh, that's all they went out from us because they were mm -hmm. not of us i don't i don't mean to keep interrupting but just so many things no perfect exactly but you know, I would add to it real quick, too, um, just to piggyback on what you were saying, um, and I'll let you dig in. Uh, I think, personally, if you believe that you can lose your salvation, it's a very dangerous thing. And here's why I say that. I think it affects the way you um, you do the Christian walk. I mean, for lack of better terms, I, whenever I'm walking with Christ, I'm not fearing whether if I screw up or not. I'm going to lose this great gift that I've been given, right? You've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But it's like I'm not worried that I'm going to screw up and lose my salvation. Why? Because I know those sins have already been paid for. And now I know. I know people will twist it and say, you're saying, Tyler, that people can just get saved and go out and sin because their sins have already been paid for. No, that's not what I'm saying. Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? May God forbid it, right? But what I am saying is that this ties into what we learned last week, that either something happened on the cross or it didn't. Either those sins were put on Jesus of the elect or they wasn't and were still in our sins. So if Jesus paid for those sins, it ties into this because no longer can a true Christian, and this should be encouraging to people, no longer can a true Christian be held accountable for the things that are sending people to hell. I mean, that's that's a, a call to rejoice. We're not held accountable. Even though we screw up daily, I don't fear that I can lose myself. Why? Because I have a sin bearer who took those sins and will say, if I stand before God one day, or when I stand before God one day, they say, well, you know, if Satan's accusing me, right? I got my own little picture of how it'll go in heaven, so just bear with me for a second. But if Satan's accusing me, I can see Jesus come out and say, no, 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 no. See these nail scars in my hand? That's the reason he should be here with me. Period mm-hmm. in the subject. Amen. See what I'm saying? So go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. To- no, absolutely. I think that the uh, perseverance of the saints give us great comfort. And I've often, in apologetic conversations with those who I don't agree with this, I've often said, uh, think about 
the the analogy of you being on a plane, okay? And and they always say like when the oxygen goes out, there's going to be little oxygen masks that come out, and they say put on your own oxygen mask before you try to put on the oxygen mask for others. Why? Because if you try to, even if it's your kid or your wife, you're trying to put on the oxygen mask for them, you're going to pass out, and then they're not going to have the oxygen mask, and neither are you. You need to take care of yourself first before you take care of others, and 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 so that just makes perfect sense. Well. If I'm not secure in my own salvation, or if I'm nervous about my own salvation, or I think I can lose my own salvation, there is a real sense that I'm going to be um, much more inclined to withdraw, right? I'm going to be much less inclined to try to engage in the world because I'm afraid that I might be seduced in the world or fall into the world. And so it just, it leads to greater confidence. I have my oxygen mask on. I now can go and run into the fire and try to rescue people like Jude said. I can be a fireman going into fire trying to save people with my oxygen mask, firmly convinced that God can uh, redeem me and I will have oxygen as I'm trying to uh, save others. Now, here's the kicker though, and this is the other side that Remember those two balances, right? I, I'm, I'm secure in Christ. I'm secure in Christ. He is my Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And that's the perseverance of the saints. The other thing, though, is there is a sense where the, the person who doesn't believe this, uh, what they want to make sure that's not forgotten, there are warnings in the Scriptures. And there are warnings for a reason. Back to that analogy of the oxygen mask. I'm convinced and I'm secure that I have the oxygen mask on. I don't say, okay, that means I don't need this oxygen mask anymore, and I'm going to run into to the fire with no oxygen mass. If I do that, I'm going to fall out and die. And so that is how these two uh, things balance, is that I'm not going into the fire going around being reckless, taking off my oxygen mask, thinking that if I apostatize, I'll still be saved. No, I know if I take that off, then I truly wasn't saved and I'll die in my sins. Uh, but I also have full confidence that I have this oxygen mask on. God has changed my heart and he's not going to allow me to take that oxygen mask on and commit suicide in that fire. So that, those are the balances. And so I do want to uh, bal- uh, go into the scriptures. But, but again, the question that we're only asking is whether a true blood-bought Christian with the Holy Spirit, regenerate, can lose their salvation. We're not asking, what if someone claims to be a Christian and apostatizes, will they be saved? That is not the question. We all agree that they're not going to be saved. You know, I like what you just said before you dig in real quick. You just said blood-bought, right? We are no longer, those whose faith is in Christ, we are no longer our own, right? And I was listening, are you familiar with Dr. Walter Martin, J.D.? Um, Yes, is this, yes I am. Okay, so he was doing, a, just real quick, um, a sermon on can a Christian lose your salvation, and he said this. He said, no, 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 you cannot lose your salvation. Why? You cannot walk away from God. If you're a true believer in Christ, you cannot walk away from God. Why? Because you are no longer your own. If you say, I'm done with this, I've got it, you know, whatever, I'm done with you, God, and walk, God will say, you know, figuratively, try it. Look what happened to Jonah, right? The perfect example of the, or, well, he's not a Christian, but of the one who tried to stray, right? The, 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 um, the prodigal son who ran away from God, literally right into the belly of a well. And, and he's like, you know what? Uh, I mean, how long was he down there? Three days in the belly of a well, swoosh, you know, swooshing and swashing and, you know, whatever he was doing in the belly of a well for three days, he's finally going to say, you know what, I'm going to do God's way. And that's exactly what I did. I will go to Nineveh. 
You know, and like, I, like, yeah. I like what Walter Martin said. He said, oh, he was acting, you know, like God. He's like, oh, no, or Jonah, you're going to do that freely of your own free will? And, it, you know, Jonah's like, yeah, yeah, I'll go to Nineveh freely on my own free will. So anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we, we believe that um, that God will, God is the one who uses means to keep us within him, right? And also the very the very key thing is that God will keep us from wanting to abandon him. We can fall for a time, but God will lead us to repentance. He will uh, He will hold us fast. But the very, very key thing is, though, do not be presumptuous. God will not be mocked. If you go around sowing to the flesh, walking after the devil, thinking... God will, surely I'm elect, God will save me. What I'm telling you is, and I'm about to read the scripture, 1 John 2.19, this scripture is the escape clause, and you will find yourself outside of Christ, and you'll find yourself damned, and we will say this verse to you. Here, here it is, 1 John 2.9. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. This is the scripture that convinced me. Because here's what it's saying. What does it mean to be of us? What is it, what he's talking about? The, the true community of believers, right? First John is all about knowing that you're a true believer because there's a bunch of apostates that went out from the congregation and John's writing to them saying, no, no, you can be assured of your salvation. You can know that you're a child of God, right? And, and one of the ways that he says that is, listen, these people left the community only to manifest that they were never truly among us. And that's the beauty of God, God excommunicates. God kicks out of the church, whether it's actually a formal process of excommunication or whether apostasy or whether uh, people just stop coming because they decide that they want to go back into the world like Demas. God has a way of purging the false believers outside of the church. Now, here's the kicker. How do you know that you aren't a false believer? There is no perfect way of knowing that. All you can know is that I believe that I am a true believer because the Holy Spirit testifies to me that I am a child of God, right? And this is why Peter says to make your calling and election sure. Not be presumptuous about it, but make it sure. Constantly look to the cross and say, am I really trusting in Jesus? Do I really believe in Him? Do I really trust in Him? Or am I one of these superficial believers that one day when I'm outside of the church, they will read 1 John 2.19 and say, they went out from us. I went out from them because I was not of them. Because if I would have been of them, I would have continued with them. So that's, this is a wonderful balance of the scriptures. But again, notice, if you are truly one of us, believers, you will not ever leave the community finally and completely because you are one of us and you'll be held fast by God. Right. And we, you know, I, I would say that we, I, you nailed it, dude. We, we can know that we're in Christ. It, it, anybody who is listening right now, I have J.D. Martin on me. You can you can check him out on YouTube over the Theology Corner. Um, I've actually listened to a show now, finally. <laughs> so I had some free time to do that. Um, but we're talking about perseverance of the saints, and, and J.D. just nailed it. Um, you can know, first of all, if you're doubt, like we, we all have doubts. Uh, my personal testimony, I doubted for the first probably seven, eight, nine, ten Months and then even two and three years after uh, salvation, uh, justification that that first moment, and I, 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 you know, was constantly, "Am I saved? Am I not? God, please save me! God, please not!" And the problem was, I 
was looking at myself. I was looking at my sin, and I saw my sin, and I, that's all I saw. And it was getting in the way of actually looking at Jesus and seeing Amen. what he did on the cross. So we must test ourselves. That is part of being a Christian. If you're not willing to test yourself to see if you're in the faith, it's a commandment. You know, I... Uh, we have to because there are going to be times of doubt and trials and tribulations and, and it's going to seem like God isn't there. I've been through them myself. And, but the longer I see, the longer that I'm a Christian, the more I'm seeing that God is providing for me. But for anyone listening who's doubting their faith, read First John. Okay, First John gives all these different tests that one can do. If you love the brethren of the church, you know, you can know that you've passed out of darkness and into light. I mean, it's just beautiful stuff. Um, and, and I don't see why, you know, someone would not want to make sure that they are a true Christian. You know, this isn't a law. This isn't, you know, a whole bunch of rules. This is, re- Christianity is reconciliation with your creator. I mean, that's what it is in a nutshell. And for, for you know, for us who are imperfect, right? We, we are not perfect by any means that is continuing to live this life um, that tries to please God. And that's another thing. If, you, if you're trying to please the triune God of the Bible, that's a pretty another good uh, indicator that you have the Holy Spirit working within you. But the fact of all of this, the reason, part of the reason why I'm doing this show is I see so many people who seem to be afraid Right, and they live their life like they're walking on eggshells. And I want to give each and everybody listening a hope. We don't have to be afraid. That now the Bible does say that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Right, the beginning of wisdom starts with the fear of God. There's a sense in which we reverence God and we realize who He is and what exactly He has done for us, for His children. Right, like we ha- it starts there. But we don't have to be afraid. He's our Abba. Abba. He's our dad. He's our daddy, basically, is what Abba means, in heaven. We don't have to fear our father. And it seems like so many Christians nowadays, and I was too. I was one of them whenever I was immature in the faith. But, you know, I've grown now thanks to the grace of God. And I've realized that, you know, I can look not at myself anymore. And it's a horrible thing to look at yourself because if you look long enough, you're going to see sin. And if you know anything about a holy God, you know that he hates sin. So you see yourself wanting to change. But the pro- the, the, the thing about it all is, and J.D., you can comment on this, is that I, I would say that, and Paul says it in Philippians one six, he says that God does not start something he would he doesn't finish. Like if God has no intention on finishing it, then he will not start it, which is weird because, you know, you have some people who say, well, you can lose your salvation, you can gain it, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, you know, and it's like, that that's confusing. But no, what we're saying is that God has a purpose for the people that he saved, and he has saved them to bring them ultimately to glorification and fellow heirs with his son. J.D., what would you say um, if somebody asked you, you know, or or if you were, you know, talking to someone who did believe that they could lose your salvation, what would you say to them um, to give them hope? Yeah, so if you can can lose your salvation, if you you can or can't lose your salvation, well, one one person has said, you know, if I could lose my salvation, you know, what am I going to give it back? Like, no, I think back to, um, 
I think back to when everyone abandoned Christ in, in John chapter 6, and there's some good scriptures there as far as perseverance and saints as well. But he looks over to the disciples and says, are you going to leave me too? And they say, how could we? You have the words of eternal life. And that's what the regenerate heart says. How could I? You have the words of eternal life. You are truly the Son of God, and we have come to know and believe and taste of the goodness of the age to come. Uh, there is no other place. Now, if you're struggling with doubt, if you're struggling with sin, Okay, well, praise God. And here's what I mean by that. Not praise God that you're struggling with sin. Mature up and continue to fight the battle and continue to resist the devil. Resist the devil and he shall flee from you, right? Um, continue to pray down the victory. Yes, I'm not saying just continue to struggle with sin. But here's the thing. You are struggling with sin. According to Romans uh, chapter 6, there was a time that you were a slave to sin and you were free to righteousness. That conscience was not coming after you. You didn't feel the, the way that you feel now because you didn't have a relationship with God. You were isolated. You were dead in your sin. But now you've become alive and now you are a slave of righteousness and now you're struggling. The battle is on because the old man is trying to take you over, but you have a new man that's now fighting. So you struggling with sin is a wonderful sign that God is at work in your life. And as Philippians uh, 1 6 says, it says that he who began, I'm sure of this, as Paul saying, I'm sure of this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, okay? So this is God saying, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Yes. Who began the good work in you? God did. God's the one who took you out of the mire. He's the one who regenerated you and brought you to fellowship with his son. He's the one who began that good work in you, not you. And he is the one, he is the one who's faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You will come and be with him in eternity past for his glory alone. So I think that it's really about the faithfulness of God. That's what this text says, that God is faithful, that God is the one who's going to complete the work that he's begun in your life. For his glory. Right. And I know somewhere it's, uh, I'll be like the writer of Hebrews, that even if we're faithless, Christ is faithful, right? God is faithful. Even if we're faithless, God is faithful. And that's, I think that's an encouragement to realize, you know, that even in the midst of our sin, there are going to be people who cry out, Lord, 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 help me, you know, Lord. And what would Jesus say, Matthew 7? I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Like, how horrible would it be to hear those words from Jesus? But at the same time, we can have a confidence. And, um, J.D., you actually mentioned John 6. I want to I want to read John 6. Um, not the whole sure. thing. Uh, I want to read Jesus' discourse about the bread of life and kind of expound um, in between. And please comment on them as well. Um, so, before you go on, though, I, I just want one quick comment about yeah. uh, Matthew. Yeah. Notice he says to these false believers, right? Mm-hmm. These people who made a profession, Lord, Lord. But he says to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. They were people sowing to the flesh, right? These people were uh, claiming to know Lord, but denying him in deed and action. Not struggling, but just living in pure denial. And Jesus says to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. For I never, keyword, never knew you. He doesn't say, I knew you and you abandoned me. Somebody says, he says, I never knew you. And so these people were uh, proved, uh, proven to be false. He never knew them. It's not that he knew them and abandoned them. Right, and you see the distinction between knowing at that point. Josh Davidson and myself, we were, you know, whenever we had the free will debate, you know, we the, the word knowing. What is know? Is it a mere head knowledge or is it something else? And, of course, Christ knew these people. This is a perfect example. But he didn't 
have a relationship with him and you nailed it bro you said that you know it wasn't that well i had a relationship with you but you failed yourself you know you walked away i've, I've heard it said before well no god can't fail us but we can sure fail ourselves and trent horn said that um from catholic answers um he said we can fail ourselves but god can't fail us i was like well so does that mean that you know god really wanted us saved and that he was just oh man like they they walked away from me no according to god's own words right jesus says i never knew you it's a state of time right never never um but yeah absolutely absolutely and you think about it you think they say that a chain is as strong as its weakest link Right. And so here I am, uh, a weak, you know, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. And so here I am, a weak and feeble sinner who lived a life of following Satan. Right. And uh, my hand is uh, holding on to my father's hand. And you're telling me that it's my grip that's decisive. Yes, my father's hand is so strong, but my weak and feeble grip is a decisive thing. What I'm saying is that makes me feel very unstable. Very, very unstable. Uh, I don't feel secure in the slightest because I know how weak the the old man is and how 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 um how how just unfaithful I I can be. Yeah, I think I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said this. Um, basically, he said that if you could lose your salvation, you would. Why? Because every single time we sin, you know, for the for the. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to say it like this because we don't. We're not here. Here's what we don't want. We don't want people to think that we're just bashing people who don't believe like us. No, I love my people. That's why I want to tell you the truth. I love what I'll put it like this. I love you. Therefore, I want to explain to you what I see in the Bible and and explain how I see it's consistent um, consistency. That's not knocking. That's not rebuke. That's not this. I just want uh, for my. I guess my prayer would be that every single person listening to this, if you've made it this far, congratulations. Give yourself a big round of applause if you're not reformed. <laughs> but at the same time, Noah and I was just talking about it the other day, and it's a, it seems we do live in an age of rebuke rather than love. And what do I mean by that? Simply put, it seems like we live the Christian body, right? Are, are th- those who are supposed to reflect Christ are so busy bickering and arguing with one another that we've forgotten how to love. And I agree with Noah to, on, on that a hundred percent. And that's I, I'm not, uh, and I've done it myself. I, I've been so full of hate, and, and you know, in, in the cage, so to say, a cage state is Calvinism. But I, I've been there, and, and I hate it, and I repent from it, and I, you know. I just want those to know that, you know, with this Christian life comes change. And I'm far from perfect, but, you know, I I just, I'm trying to have these conversations with love and respect. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, my whole yeah. channel is all about having Christian, you, you heard one conversation, um, it's all about having um, important theological conversations, right, about Calvinism, Arminianism, uh, whatever, you name it, annihilationism, doesn't matter, in a respectful and loving, kind way. And, and so, and what I often find is that we're just talking past each other. When if you if you listen to the people who believe that they can lose their salvation, their biggest concern is people um, getting sloppy about their salvation, getting presumptuous, and throwing in the towel. 
And what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that we can believe in perseverance of the saints without being sloppy about our salvation. So what I'm saying, you can have your, you know, your cake and eat it too. I can believe I'm secure and God who's began a good work in me will bring it to completion. Oh, I want to go to Romans, uh, Romans 8. He whom he foreknew, he predestined, he predestined, he called, he called, he justified, he justified, he glorified. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Through all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. Hallelujah. This is what the scripture says, right? We can believe this truth that yes, God foreknew me. It doesn't matter what you think that means. It means he's talking about believers here, that he, those whom he, he, those who love God now, right? That's what he's talking about. And so th- that's us. Those whom he foreknew, he also is the one who has uh, predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's glorification. He's predestined that we will be glorified, all right? And he's called us. He's appointed us as believers and he's justified us, right? If you believe in Christ, you'll be justified. So if you have the promise of justification, you're justified. And these same group of people that he foreknew from the very beginning are the same people that he will glorify, certainly. And so we can have that and say, hallelujah, Christ is going to save me. I will be with him forever, my true love of my life. Yet, at the same time, none of this makes me presumptuous. None of this causes me to go ahead and fall into porn addiction or anything like that, thinking it doesn't matter because I, I you know, I got my ticket punched. And so there's that wonderful balance of the scriptures where both are true. It is both true that God, we are held firm in Christ. It is also true that we should never be presumptuous of our sin and that the scriptures are full of warnings and they're true warnings and they're the very means that God uses to keep us into the fold. Right? It's, it's these very warnings that make us say, oh, I better not do that. I better not be presumptuous because these warnings are real and these are God's means to hold me fast. Right. I actually want to get into one of the warnings real quick before we uh, look at John 6, um, Hebrews 6. And it's a, it's a verse that a lot of people use to see, to show that um, you, you, a Christian truly truly can lose their salvation. I just want to touch on it for a second. Uh, Hebrews 6, 1 says, Therefore, we must progress beyond the elementary instructions about Christ and move on to maturity, not laying this foundation again, repentance from dead works and faith in God, teaching about baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are all foundations, according to the writer of Hebrews, all these things that you know we build our faith upon and stuff. Verse 3, and this is what we intend to do, if God permits for... Okay, so here's the verse that people say a Christian can lose their salvation. For it is impossible in the case of those who has who have once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, become partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God and the miracles of the coming age, and then have committed apostasy to renew them again to repentance, since they are crucifying the Son of God for themselves all over again and holding him up to contempt. If you stop right there, it seems like, well, it does seem like I would be of one who has been enlightened. I've tasted the heavenly gift. I've become a partaker of the Holy Spirit. I've tasted the good word of God. Um, and, but I haven't committed apostasy. It would seem like this would be saying I could commit apostasy. I want to go on. for the gr- Verse 7. For the ground that has soaked up the rain that frequently falls on it and yields useful vegetation, for those who tend it receive a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is useless. And about to be cursed, its fate is to be burned. Now, to comment on that, it, the writer of Hebrews is using an analogy to show that we are all ground, period, end of subject. 
Some of God's grace, signified by the rain, falls down onto us. Some produce good works that yield useful vegetation. Others produce thorns and thistles that is only good to be burned. These are the differences between a regenerated person and someone who has not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. But look at verse 9. But in your case, dear friends, even though we speak like this, even though we say, people, it is impossible for the case of those who have once been enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and become partakers of the Holy Spirit, even though we're talking like this, verse ten or verse 9 says, we are convinced of better things relating to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love that you have demonstrated for his name, having served and continuing to serve the saints. But we passionately want each of you to demonstrate the same eagerness for the fulfillment of your hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and perseverance inherit the promises. And, it, and so I want to look at something real quick. If you're, and I got this from the Walter Martin thing. He said, if you're going to say that this is talking about repentance, or this is talking about the Christian believer, you have to look up that it, you have to look at that word there, tasted the good word, and then have committed apostasy. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, for it, verse 4, I'm sorry. For it is impossible. You have to look at that word and apply it to what it, what it applies to. For it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. You have to take that word impossible, and you have to look down a few verses later and see where it says that it is impossible for God to lie. You have to say that it is impossible for those who have once done this to be renewed to repentance. Now, I don't know about you, J.D., but I know me, and I know that I have not committed apostasy, but I have every time I sin, I turn away from God. And I know that every time I do that, it's almost, you know, it's like I'm turning my back on God. So if we're ready to say that it is impossible for, for these people to be or to be Christians, if it is impossible for Christians to be renewed to repentance after apostasy, then we have to be willing to say that after that point, whenever we turn, we're done. And every single person who's done that, if they've wanted to come back, it's, they can't. It's irrelevant. It's impossible for them. What would you say about that? Yeah, this is a challenging text for everybody because yeah. um, it, it's challenging for the per- believer of Perseverance and Saints because this is extreme language that sounds descriptive of a believer. Um, and uh, it talks about them falling away. And, you know, it sounds like uh, sounds like true believers can abandon their faith. It's difficult for the, the, the person who believes in, um, um, not believe, doesn't believe in perseverance saints, believes you can't lose your salvation. It's because very few of them want to say that once you apostatize, then you are doomed and that you can never, you know, repent at that point and then come back into belief. And so for everyone, this is a challenging uh, challenging text. I think that you were you were right to look at verse seven and see this analogy of the land that's drunk the rain that often falls on. It. And there's this there's two types of land. There's this this land that produces useful crop, and then there's this land that bears these thorns and thistles. And it's that land that bears the thorns and thistles that are to be burned. And that of course is parallel to the apostate that he's talking about. And then the true believer is the one who's the land that produces this useful crop. And verse nine says this is who he thinks that his 
audience is, his audience, he, I believe that you are that useful crop and that these better things, salvation, uh, belongs to you. Now, we have to under, where did the, whoever wrote the Hebrews, I think it was uh, Paul, well, I'm not going to say it's Paul per se, it's Paul and someone who was very closely associated with him. Um, they were very much influenced by Jesus. Loved Jesus. I got saved uh, reading the book of Matthew. Loved Jesus. James is my second favorite book because he's so reflecting Jesus. Now, if you know anything about Jesus and if you're, you're steeped in Jesus' uh, sayings and his tradition, you should immediately know what this is referenced to. And that's the parable of the famous parable of the sower, where Jesus describes that there's these four soils and that the word of God is, um, goes out to these four soils and, and some of them are, are, you know, that the birds come and eat the seed, and these are people who reject the gospel. There's um, there's no sense of, of them being believers at all. But then there's these three other soils that represent two of these represent um, false believers, and one represents the true believer. And e- interesting enough, with the true believer, there's different fruitfulness: some thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. So just because you're a believer doesn't mean you can have the same amount of fruitfulness. But every believer will have fruitfulness. Is the point? Now, now here's the key, though: these other two, one uh, gets choked out by the the, the cares of the world and and one gets burned up by the sun which is like persecution and all that other stuff these other two represent false believers you see what I'm saying? they were always a different soil and this soil was always going to be the soil that was going to prove itself false why because it was not going to produce 30 60 100 fold they were going to apart from us it sounds like first john 2 19 again that they were not of us because if they were of us they would remain with us they were not the good soil the point is what you don't have in jesus parable is that some of the good soil of the 30 60 100 some of those uh those plants uh die and get withered and get burned up by the sun and get choked up by the seeds that's not it the 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 bad soil remains bad Right? There's three bad soil, and they're always bad, and the good soil remains good. This is the, the wonderful parable uh, about, uh, the, about soils. So, here's the point. That all of those, um, th- that the, the, two, the two other soils that are false believers look like Christians, they sound like Christians, there's no way to distinguish them from Christians until they apostatize. And if you just follow Jesus, Jesus always does this. He's always talking about ten virgins, five wise and five are foolish, and here's the servants, and, and some of them are waiting for the Messiah, and some of them are getting drunk and beating the other servants. He's always describing the false believer in the exact same language as the true believer, but the false believers always been the false believer all along, and he's just being rooted out like Judas. Judas was a devil from the beginning. So, my explanation of why it is that this language of tasted of the Holy Spirit and all of these other things sounds exactly like the believer is because he's describing the false believer in the exact language of the believer because this person, I know people have apostatized, this is what we describe them as. This is what they look like to us. They look like full-on believers. And yet, they proved themselves false when time came and apostatized. And it's these people, it's these very people people that that God is warning these people have absolutely no hope whatsoever if you have apostatized if you are a false believer you are doomed it would have been better if you would have never tasted of the heavenly gift according to I think it's um second Peter chapter 3 and so this is up again this is supposed to be leading us not to be presumptuous because I, I warned someone someone was about to apostatize and I said read this passage that's supposed to scare the daylights out of you because you very well could be this person in this passage so you need to think very clearly before you get you decide that you want to sleep with your girlfriend and abandon the Christian faith for a time in the season thinking that you're going to come back because I promise you if you do that I will quote this verse on you and this verse I very well will think this verse is applied to you and that's the point it speaks 
it's called speech act theory. That's what Hebrews is writing. He's writing this to scare people. And he's trying to motivate them to not do something, namely to apostatize, because he's saying, if you do, this scripture may very well describe you. You may be apostate. You're never coming back. You're never truly saved. You're cursed ground, and you're damned to hell. It's a very serious thing. I mean, Christianity, even, and and I think, we as Christians, we, you know, and I'm talking about the whole body uh, of believers. I, some have a very, very, uh, what would be the word, sensitive, um, I don't know. They, they, they have a an instinct for sin, right? And it's something that, you know, it, it bothers people. It, it, and I think that's, you know, Holy Spirit. Um, that, that convicts, you know, those those who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, they have a better sense of sin and what it truly is because we understand that we worship a holy God. And whenever we start seeing how big God is and what exactly it means to be holy, we start seeing our sin in a different life. The very thing that I used to love to do, right, is actually what nailed Jesus to the tree. And once you see that, it, it brings, it, it's very surreal, and it brings about just a new perspective on everything. And I think that nobody can have that um, expect, or, or without the, except without the Holy Spirit. I don't think a person in the flesh can understand the things of the Spirit. The Bible says that, and I don't think that they can relate in, in, in a way. Um, and where I'm going with this is, are, are you familiar with, uh, it's a term in the Bible, J.D., uh, it's with the wheat and the tares. The tares is yes. actually a word, it's called darnell. Are you familiar with mm-hmm. that? Yeah, okay, I am. So, darn, so darnell, for those who don't know, darnell looks exactly, well, there, there's some sim, uh, differences, but it's very, very similar to wheat. And that's the point that Jesus was making in the parable of the wheat and the tares, that in the church, within the within the visual church not the body of christ not the believers but the what we think of you know as as our church we go to we we understand as christians that there are false believers within the walls of the church the visual church is what we're saying and they look so much like the wheat that you really can't tell a difference And, and and like i said the 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 Darnell and the wheat's a beautiful analogy that Jesus put. But I look at Hebrews 6, and I'm thinking, who is the writer of Hebrews talking about? I mean, obviously he's talking about anybody who apostolized, but who is a really good example of this? And you said him, it's Judas. He looked exactly like the 12, or, or I'm sorry, the 11, and, but they knew that you know he was dipping into the, the, the um, their money thing and whatever. But anyway, long story short, there that's the point, is that these two things look so similar that I, I, me personally, I don't try to judge anybody's salvation. Like, you know, I can just, I can give you hope and, and assurance and say that if your faith is in Christ, that you are saved and the promises that I'm waiting on also, you know, involve you as well. So that that's what I would say to anybody who you know, is doubting, but, but to look, you know, and just see these, this Darnell and wheat thing, it's really amazing to actually pull it up for those listening, pull literally get on Google and pull it up and look at the similarities between wheat and Darnell, D-A-R-N-E-L. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. They're very, very similar. They're very, very, very can, similar. Can I can I do one scripture? I think we're running out. We're running in the end. Just yeah, I one think we scripture. Got about five minutes left. Oh, Sorry, we do. Ahead. Okay. I uh, one. So. I, I thought we were running out. Uh, I just want to just point out one um, other promise of God. John six forty four says, "No one can come to me yeah. unless the Father who sent me draws him." Okay. Yeah. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Those who come to Christ by the drawing of Christ are the same group that he will raise them up on the last day. I mean, uh, to me, it's not just one scripture. Look, if it's one scripture, maybe. I mean, but you just continuously see this kind of language over and over and over and over. To me, it it becomes, um, it it seems to um, paint a cohesive picture. And like I said, when I hear my... um, my brothers who don't believe in perseverance of the saints, oftentimes they just talk about the warnings. And they just talk about the warnings. And it's as if, I don't know if they never heard an explanation. 